Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 27. This is your home for elite level analysis of the NFL's upper Midwestern teams, the Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. We're at the end of week six, start of week seven, and I am Joe Smith, your co-host, a Michigan native who's still here in the Motor City. Here in Detroit, it is Michigan, Michigan State Week, which for Spartan fans has all the appeal of listening to a loved one be the victim on the hashtag murder podcast. Here is my co-host and friend, Chicago's own Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Uh, greetings back in Orlando, or hopefully I'm done traveling. I just want to give a special shout out. I was given props that uh, from a listener that they were happy that we make this a family-friendly affair because apparently a friend of the podcast, Tony, was listening to the podcast with his three-year-old daughter in the car, and she said, Dad, why is Uncle uh, Brian talking about you on the radio? So in case you're listening, Penelope, I will say I'm sorry I didn't bring the pod dogs, Remy and Ray, up to Charleston last week, but I will next time I'm up there. But speaking of my trip to Charleston, now that I'm back and done traveling until uh, hopefully Christmas, knock on wood, uh, I heard uh, my co-host Joe has been doing his own little traveling. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Uh, I you know, I work pretty uh, heavy nine to five, of course, so I actually don't do a whole lot of traveling. But I did this last weekend. I went down to see the Purdue Ohio State game with my uh, my friend, friend of the podcast, Jason, and saw his awesome family. He's got four kids and is doing really great. I got seats that uh, Jason got the seats and we were like right between the the five yard line and the goal line on the closed side of the uh the purdue stadium ross aid so i got was kept trying to get all of these shots of like the buckeyes scoring touchdown right in front of me and i kept getting all these miscues like i got this (laughs) awesome shot i of this guy this guy for purdue it was a pretty ohio state section but you know there was a couple purdue guys right behind us he was he was just saying because i got like one shot and it was you know it was a, like an incomplete pass or something and he's like you're lining it up there's gonna be a turnover on this next play you're gonna get it and sure enough the very next play he's going in the end zone and whoop out goes the ball and i've got this beautiful shot of the ball flying out of his hands as he comes <laughs> across the whoopsie the, the end zone and i'm just and i just go i just turn around and go yeah i'd like to shake your hand now <laughs> <laughs> Nice. It was that kind of crowd. Yep. And, and then I sent you the picture, I think, of Marvin Harrison bobbling the ball out of bounds. <sighs> so close. I think that'll hurt his draft stock. He he heard the Bears have the top two picks and he he's trying to loot drop some balls now, dropping the draft stock. No, no, it was it was a really great trip, although it was a really short trip. I had to drive down there on Friday the thirteenth, and that was brutal spooky it was not spooky but it was nightmarish yes i was (laughs) i went to go see jason v on friday the 13th in october what could go wrong apparently everything (laughs) on the way down there uh from the guy that was doing 80 in a construction zone six miles from my rear fender to the surprise construction on rochester road uh, the jackknife dump truck in Toledo was real nice where they closed the freeway, literally six cars in front of me. I mean, wow. this, uh, this five and a half, five, five and a half hour trip down to West Lafayette was basically a seven and a half, eight hour ordeal. Ugh. 
Ouch. But, yeah. You know, the trip back was smooth, was smooth sailing, but you know. And and of course I loved going down there seeing my buddy. Anyway. Shout out Wallabies. Yep. Three and three and third place from the first place three and three brush wags. <laughs> Sorry, podcast listeners. That's a inside that's a fancy football. Yeah, that, that's our league that we're all in together that we've been in for decades at this point. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the Midwest football podcast here, if you do like our show, please help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email, midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com, or recommending our show to your friends. This week, we'll discuss a major not accident with a former Hall of Fame caliber receiver. Since we went off the air before the end of the Monday night game last week, we'll talk about how the Packers Raiders game ended, which was certainly newsworthy. And who gets stuck with that blame pie? But first, it's time for the 72 Dolphins to pop a cork. Already, there are no more undefeated NFL teams, leaving those 72 Dolphins as the only perfect season in NFL history. Well then, so this is pretty early in the season to not have an undefeated team, especially because I believe there was two coming into it, both NFC, who the NFC, I think, went 0-6 against the AFC this week, uh, which includes uh, the Cleveland Browns beating the Niners. More on that yep. later. We, yeah, and, we're going to talk a lot about that game because that was pretty monumental. Yeah, and the elite Jets defense shutting down and picking off uh, Jalen Hurts multiple times, including with the game on the line, and somehow coming back from down 14-3 to with Zach Wilson at the helm <laughs> to beat the Eagles in a major upset. So uh, we have no longer any undefeated teams, and we have five 5-1 five and one teams. You got any thoughts on the 5-1 and one teams remaining? Maybe you cheer for one of them. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, we've got uh, – really, it was, it was kind of strange to see the Eagles get really pass-happy at the end of that game. Mm-hmm. I think they ended up with a breakdown of almost 2-1 to one passing to running, uh, and that's that's too much. For the for that for a team like that, it seems like they can run on anybody. But very quietly, these last couple two three weeks, they've only been getting about three and a half yards of carry from their running backs. Yeah, which is insane because I was listening to a pod. I think it was from the the Ringer. Their their advanced guy was talking about how one of the stats they follow, which is like the amount of car- uh, yards or it's not average yards, but it's something like that. Where basically, since they've tracked it no offensive line has blocked for more yards before contact than the Eagles lead offense this year. And to not lean on that when <laughs> they have that line is, is really weird when you have an 11 point lead in the second half. Yeah. There's that's one of the reasons why there's starting to be some talk that maybe they need a running back after uh, swift because they're swift, but they're not getting much per carry out of anybody else. I think this is very Pete Carroll Super Bowlish, where it's we're trying to get the we're trying to get someone an MVP, aka we're trying to get Jalen Hurts the MVP where he probably deserved it last year before he got injured. Um, so they're throwing the ball when they think they have a big enough lead that they're not going to blow it, you know. And they ask any Seahawks fan, uh, they can blow <laughs> a lead, yeah. you know. Oh, Marshawn, yeah. Ask Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> Yeah, you are starting to get some of the uh, some of the attention seeking analysts going. So there's no undefeated team. Is anybody actually good this year? The answer is yes. It's just more parody. I I just also think that was a trap game, to be honest. Those happen all the time. That's why the NFL, it's rare to go 15, 16 and one. It's not like college. Exactly. Well, there's the talent differential between 
the worst NFL team and the best NFL team is much, much smaller than in between even top 15 teams in college football. I mean, just off the top of my head, the Raiders with Jimmy G often injured twice this year already, the Jets with Zach Wilson, the um, Falcons with Desmond Ritter, and the Commanders with Sam Howell are all three win teams, which is not bad considering they have arguably some of the worst quarterback situations in the league, but that's how the parity works. They're, these guys might be the worst in the league, but they are still NFL caliber quarterbacks. They are still good enough. One of the things that really jumped out at me actually was seeing some the the Seahawks and the Bucks are templates for how you can win with a quarterback that is not elite. And we'll get into that later in the podcast. Yeah, I want to talk about Baker Mayfield in the Browns segment. Uh, do you have any last thoughts on the five elite, uh, the five remaining five and one teams? Or do you want to uh, move well, let's on? see? That's the obviously the two that just went down the Eagles, uh, Niners, Eagles and the Niners, the Lions. Uh, let's see on the AFC side. Oh, we got the chiefs and the, uh, dolphins. Yeah. The chiefs whose one is the lions and, the and dolphins. the dolphins yeah, who, it's... who got, who walked into a buzzsaw in Buffalo. I gotta be honest. The dolphins might be the scariest team because between when you throw in people forget about most or, uh, he might be faster than uh, Tyreek Hill. And then you got Waddle and A-Chain if they're all healthy. Like, that's a team that has five, four guys that can score at any play. It's scary when you're cheering against them. Oh, yeah. And the Chiefs are uh, winning, but basically on their defense. So, they're a little, their games are ugly, but they get it done, and they're champions. So, don't count them out either. Let's talk about this bizarre story that you uh, brought into us brought into the pre-production meeting here with that stemmed in from an argument that be has become a police story. What is going on here? So about an hour ago, I saw this banner alert pop up. So I had to shoehorn it in. And uh, apparently Terrell Owens, former wide receiver, most known for the, you know, Eagles, Cowboys, Niners, and then like four other teams at the end of his career uh, at age 49, got hit by a car after an argument, playing basketball and apparently it was not an accident the guy who hit him with the car in the knee was the guy he was arguing with allegedly all of this but yeah this is going to be allegedly 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 uh yeah which kind of sounds like the most terrell owens thing that has happened in recent memory and it took terrell owens to do it and he was not hospitalized so i guess he's okay so we can yeah, I agree with you. That's a very Terrell Owens story. So we can How move old on. Is Terrell Owens now? Forty nine, and he's still at it like he's a nineteen year old, and he's still out it playing pickup basketball and screaming at people over it. Yep. Some yep, people never Terrell grow Owens. up. They're a Toys R Us kid. <laughs> the national treasure that is Terrell Owens is all right. So that's a good thing. It the. <laughs> The uh, police record of the guy who allegedly hit him that, you know, this event probably didn't do him any good. Let's transition over here to uh, the Packers and the Monday night game. We did not really get to the last, say, five minutes of the Packer game. So we want to touch on that here because, oh boy, 
the Packers fans, I would say, are not terribly happy about it. Yes, so after we uh, quit recording late in the night, it was a very close game, but I believe it looked like the Packers were on the verge of beating the uh, Oakland Raiders. They were up 13-10, to 10, and the Raiders ended up scoring the go-ahead touchdown um, and uh, with a Josh Jacobs touchdown run. And won 17 to 13. And I believe there was some pretty awful play down the stretch involving possible interceptions thrown by Jordan Love. And uh... yeah, it looked like for, on replay that what was it? Christian Watson was wide open going down the field and Love missed him terribly in the end zone or floated it or something. Mm-hmm. And it ended up getting picked. And that was the end of the game. And like, there were like there's a photo of the last play where it shows the coach for Green Bay just jumping up and down with his fist in the air. Like and then the arrow is like this picture was taken on the last play with the it, where that ended up in the interception. This is like where you think the ball's going into the basket and then it misses and you're like, wait, what? I thought that was dead on. Like one of those things like he's watching Christian Watson for the game winning touchdown and then just intercepted this reminds me of week one with the um who's the guy that was the lions here against the chiefs uh kadarius tony where it shows the ball right in his hand and then just the captions just this is an interception (laughs) the lions hero i'm thinking yeah and you're thinking (laughs) no the chiefs guy no no no, the guy that (laughs) the guy that uh forced the intercept the guy that uh volleyball set the ball to uh to brian branch um but yeah so that's what i feel like but except jordan love was the culprit in this case and um with uh another game where he barely completed 50 percent of his passes for less than 200 yards against a not great eight Raiders team. Uh, he also threw three interceptions. Um, this goes to ask, since we got nothing else to talk about since the Packers were on a bye, who's to blame for the Packers two and three start now? And it's really a one and three start against real teams if you don't include the Bears loss or the Bears win. Sorry. <laughs> Ooh, self dig. I know, right? That's all we got. One and two overall picks back again, baby. Oh, man. You know, without diagnosing the film. The reaction tells me that these are missed throws from Jordan Love. That plus the 30% uncatchable ball rate that we were talking about. What was that? Two or three weeks ago. Yes. Like I can understand that you bounce past a certain number of passes or chuck it out of bounds or whatever, but it shouldn't be anywhere near 30%. Yeah, That's really so bad is, for an NFL player. Yeah. So <laughs> I, that's telling me that he is missing guys horribly well apparently um the uh, packers thought they were getting their third hall of famer in a row um after far and aaron Rodgers, but through five games jordan love looks like he's um the incumbent to the rex grossman Kirk cutler line yeah i would say that he's, he's more look this he has exactly what Five NFL starts to his name, six. This, this season, I think he might have started one or two in the past three years. Yeah. So I'm not saying he's unsalvageable, but I think the it the expectations for the Packers have to take a massive step back. I, I just worry about the accuracy. I know we've seen recent quarterbacks improve on it, but he's also been in the lab working on this for four years at the NFL level. Yeah, but usually when you 
are improving a quarterback's accuracy. There are ways to do it from a mechanics perspective, but if that hasn't been done in three years uh, where he was sitting behind Aaron Rodgers, then when is it going to happen? Usually when quarterbacks improve, it's because they uh, schematically make easier throws for the guys after they figure out what he can and cannot do. Well, and that's the worry point some because I believe when you watch Packers game schematically, like you said, the game losing pass, Christian Watson is wide open. Like they scheme up good plays for him. His receivers get open. His line's pretty good. It, it it does feel like this is a I think it's a Jordan Love issue in my opinion. But the the other issue is he still makes good plays too. And this is riding riding that wave where right. Far made bad plays too, but he usually came through in the clutch, so we forgot about it. It was kind of the opposite of Rex Grossman or Tony Romo, where they could finish with 300 yards, three touchdowns, and three interceptions, but Far would throw the interceptions in the first half and the touchdowns in the second. Romo would be the inverse of that. I, I'm not sure it's exactly the same thing, though, because like Brett Favre was famously a gunslinger. He would try to fit a football into a hole literally the size of the football. Good point. So it wasn't that he was inaccurate. It's that he was taking risks. You're right. He wasn't. Whereas Jordan Love, he's not trying to force it. He's just off target. Yeah, he's just missing people. Mm -hmm. At least at this stage in his career. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a while, especially for a quarterback, but... It looks like the mental side of his game is fine in the sense that he's making the right reads most of the time. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's going to be hard. I mean, we'll see what they do coming out of the bye week because they've had two weeks to address this issue. You know, good timing for the bye week on the short week after Monday night. Um, so we'll talk True. We'll talk more in the previews on that. Shall we move on to the game six reviews, starting with the Niners at the Browns? Absolutely. The biggest profile game for the week in terms of the national coverage of ours was probably Niners Browns, which was expected to be a fairly one-sided shellacking. And it turned into quite the event for Cleveland fans, starting with the nice little dust up between Thornhill and Debo at the start of the game. So yeah, that'll get things off on the right foot. So the Browns are scrappy. They went back and down. Or somebody spit in their oatmeal, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this was a game where, to be fair, the Niners did lose both Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel to injury during this game. Mm -hmm. R.I.P. Tony's dynasty team. Go on. But, (laughs) But this has shown itself to be an absolutely historic defense that I would hold up at the same level as the Dolphins offense this year. They are incredible. I'll agree with that. That defense is amazing. They were harassing Brock Purdy all day. It was. Here is the unbelievable stat that some of the Browns fans have probably heard of, but maybe you haven't. If you're, if this is not your main team so far in the 2023 season. So six games, the Browns have given up, 1,000 and I think it was four yards, seven yards, somewhere in there. It's a single digit number, 1,007, I think, which is the fewest since 1971 through six games. Wow. Nineteen In 1971, 
the Vietnam War was still going on and Richard Nixon was president. 52 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say that the NFL is a significantly different and much more pass-heavy game than it was back then. Mm-hmm. That is wow. So the Browns turn around and beat the Niners with, or maybe despite, a backup quarterback. That's worth a lot in my book. I mean, we could talk a little bit about that quarterback situation. First of all, um, Dorian Thomas, definitely Robinson Thomas, or what, what's his D- DRT DTR? I forget his last name. How do how he hyphenates it? The rookie out of UCLA. Um, I guess he didn't play well enough after last week to keep his job, so they pulled PJ Walker, who was cut by the Chicago Bears in the offseason despite signing a pretty big contract. And I watched his preseason games. PJ Walker was atrocious, and it didn't matter. He beat. The Niners. And what's going on with Deshaun Watson? Apparently he was, quote, medically cleared to play three weeks ago or two weeks, two games ago, plus a bye week and still is injured. So either there's something going on behind the scenes with him and the quarter of the coaches or they have the worst medical staff in NFL history. More on that in my theories when after you get way in. On I this. wanted I looked it up. The Browns have already had their bye. Yeah, so it is a thousand. So it was a thousand and two yards through five games. Oh, okay. But that's still basically two hundred yards a game when anything south of three hundred is considered a win. Yes. So with Deshaun Watson, so it's interesting because obviously he's not playing. He didn't play the week, the game before the bye or the game after, despite being quote medically cleared. Um, so I think the general pundits out there are throwing him under the bus. He's easy to tar. He's easy because he is a prima donna. There was drama in Houston even before the um, lawsuit started coming out. If you remember, he was already refusing yeah. to play for them, which he's now apparently doing again. And then they traded a lot to get him signed with a huge contract. I understand he's a lightning rod and, Obviously, there's probably a lot to blame, but I'm going to take a different take on this. And let's remember the previous quarterback that played for the Browns, Baker Mayfield, who um, won their own only playoff game since Bill Belichick beating the Steelers. And um, then the next year, he injured his his shoulder and played through it all year. Despite it, he, a lot of medical people thought he should have rested six weeks, but he played through it, played terrible, as you might guess, a quarterback with a bad throwing shoulder would do. And uh, basically ruined his career. Everyone thinks he sucks now because of that. Um, he's reviving it now. But is there something with the medical staff in Cleveland that pressured and cleared Baker Mayfield to play a couple of years ago? And they're now doing again with Deshaun Watson, but he is wisely sitting out to get fully recovered. One of the things that I've noticed as the follower of an awful team is that bad <laughs> medical decision making seems to come with bad management. Because let's face it, these, yes, these medical professionals are allegedly independent, but they're getting paychecks from the team. Mm -hmm. And that means that if they would like, they know that at some level, if they would like to continue to get paychecks from the team, if the management of the team has a strong opinion as to whether the guy is healthy or not, unless the guy is literally in traction, then that guy is going to get cleared. So my official stance is I know nothing about the situation. Nothing's actually broke yet. All we know is they say he's cleared and he doesn't play. I'm with any player who wants to sit out an extra week or two to get fully healthy because I think they get rushed back and that's when they re-aggravate and they have, they they severely damage their long-term prospects in a short career. 
Right. They, they end up with permanent problems. Mm-hmm. After the story hit everywhere that uh, he was actually cleared and then just chose not to play, you know, the Browns coaching staff went backpedaled like you would expect hardcore. Oh, yeah. Well, I have total faith in his ability to make that decision. And I trust him as much as yeah, all the all that stuff, you know, like the damage control. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that was probably a coach who's nervous for his job. That job got a whole lot safer after this win. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about more about this uh, this defense and the way that they uh, that they did it. Because sometimes maybe Jim Schwartz, who's the defensive coordinator, just has Kyle Shanahan's number. He always seems to whatever defense Jim Schwartz has, they show up against the 49ers. But the way they did it was something that might be repeatable. The Browns had success in the run game. They had, I think, 145 rushing yards from running backs between Brown and Hunt. Ford and, and they Ford and Hunt. You're right. Sorry, I was going to put Jim Brown back on the field for them. They I wish. We all wish. But uh, they were attacking the edges. They did a lot of shots downfield. They were using this quarterback's deep ball. They were hitting screens. They were hitting, you know, outside runs, that kind of thing. They weren't trying to run it into the heart of the Niners pass rush or their linebacking core. They were going, they were going to make those players run and actually fully cover the outside, which might be something that other teams can try to do. What do you think? I think that is interesting because a lot of times I think it's just like they had this schematic game plan where they just had better players and ran vanilla. But no, I think you're right. I think it's something that other teams can uh, watch and emulate because they did definitely make the Niners cover the whole field. And even with PJ Walker's limitations, it still was very successful. And I think other teams can follow that. Maybe this was the uh, blueprint getting laid down. In any case, let's uh, go down 71 and do the Seahawks at the Bengals. Look, the Seahawks do it different than a lot of other teams. They love to establish the run. They know they don't have an elite quarterback, so they protect him. They give him a ton of weapons. They run a lot of max protect with only three or four players actually on a route. And they to doing that, they beat all the teams that just stock up on pass rush because your four guys or five guys aren't going to make it through our six or seven blocking. Mm-hmm. And it's shown to be a really effective way for uh for a team to beat you know sort of traditionally constructed NFL teams mm-hmm. especially if you've got a good coach like see like Seattle definitely does well so what ha- what do you do then exactly what the Bengals did they gave up the touchdown on that kind of you know plotting drive in the first first possession and then they started playing deep coverage to force shorter throws and bringing any pressure that they brought right up the middle Mm-hmm. And it was tremendously successful. Seattle only scored, I think, 17 points. And the 13, 13. Yeah. The Bengals won the game with a number of crucial defensive stops, slowing these things down. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the offense is all the way back either. But Burrow did have 15 straight completions at one point, mostly again, short stuff, because this is a 
defense that's not good, but they were focused on not getting beat down the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's right. The Seahawks have been running this style of offense since the uh, Russell Wilson era. And I think this is where you kind of see where they miss Russell Wilson a little bit because he could extend those plays even longer to make the defense cover more of the field. So guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf had more time to get open when even with the max protection, they'd run those two receiver routes. Like you were saying, I don't think Geno Smith is quite as good on the run. He's more of a pocket passer. So when you collapse that pocket right in his face, I do think it throws off those deep passes anyways. So I think that was pretty pretty good call on the the uh, the Bengals and I think that like we were talking about in the last game I think that this is a uh, defense that other teams playing the Seahawks can emulate if they put on the proper game film because Seahawks have a very explosive offense but they don't use the intermediate stuff it's run 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 set up the deep ball and then get their chunk yards and it seemed like the the Bengals were ready for it and uh, offensively, Joe Burrow's quite, you know, not he's not quite, quite there yet, but he had efficient game. He was almost 70% passing, even though he was under 200 yards. And they weren't efficient on offense. I mean, uh, Mixon was 3.2 yards per carry, but they they got the job done. And that's all that matters is they're staying in it. You know, each week they win a game. Now they're up to three and three. Uh, Burrow's going to get healthier as the season goes on. And I think we're going to start seeing, we've some flashes of him hooking up with Jamar. And I think that's going to continue to go forward. In my opinion, I think every week the Bengals can buy a win is one week closer to them getting back um, to 100% and being super scary again. I'm glad you mentioned that the Bengals offense still doesn't look at in sync. Come on. Um, I think that, Burrow and Jamar Chase are fine. And, you know, T Higgins, of course, is banged up right now. So they got to figure out the rest of the offense around their stars. Cincinnati in their last eight drives only had 77 yards. They punted six times and had a turnover. Somehow they still won because the defense that we've been very negative on showed up huge. Some of that was scheme. Some of that was their star players actually getting loose. And I know this was just a week six game in the regular season, but it's just something that you got to remember. This is what good teams, championship teams do. They win when things are ugly. They win when things aren't going their way. And that's when they banked. You know, and we know what they're capable of, especially seeing the defense step up their game. I think that, to me, has been the um, the best sign against the Seahawks because we were, we had a lot of questions about it and they showed up with a foot with a vengeance. And I think if that's repeatable, they're every bit the Super Bowl contender team. They was the last two years ago, you know? And I do agree. <laughs> do you want to move on to the next game? Sorry. I'm looking at the notes for the next game and I just started laughing. Cause that's, yes. that's a great summary <laughs> Vikings at bears. And I figured you would have plenty to say about this one, my friend. Well, the good news is I was flying back to Florida during this game. So I didn't have to watch this on a uh, atrocity, but uh, with uh, a <laughs> Herbert, Roshan Johnson out Jamar, Justin Jefferson out a bigger injury. Uh, Justin Fields got hurt. He did. He injured his th- thumb. It was not a, um, 
broken, but it was dislocated. He popped it back in, but it could not grip the football. So the great Tyson Bagent time, uh, Shepard's finest, is uh, finished the game where he lost a fumble for a touchdown and threw an interception to end the game. Um, not too shocking for a D2 rookie um, against the Vikings, making their defense look good. Um, I'm not sure how exciting Vikings fans are about the win, but they got the win. Um, and it staves off one more week where a lot of people were thinking that if they lost this game, Kirk Cousins would be on the move to the Jets or the Falcons and they would be, quote, shutting down Justin Jefferson. But uh, Jefferson fantasy owners with a big win because that means that he might actually return in three to four weeks instead of being shut down for the year for tank mode. And as a Bears fan, the best part about this one means the Bears are back to one and two overall in the draft pick because the teams that are in third and fourth are the Vikings and the Broncos, who both accidentally beat the Bears in the tank of Palooza. Uh, and of course, <laughs> the uh, Panthers are the only undefeated, uh, uh, remain the only team that hasn't had a win after losing uh, big to the Dolphins. And, um, but more, a more serious note, even with Fields on the field before he got injured, it's just back to Getsy being Getsy and Everflus being Everflus. Like I saw a stat like in two seasons, Everflus still has not put together back-to-back wins, which I guess guess makes sense when you've only won four games. When you you know you start off two and one, uh, your career, and then you win one game in the next uh, fourteen. <laughs> to finish last season and they're one in five yeah. now. I mean, it's, it's pretty ugly. And I mean, I stand by, I, I still think the bears have decent young talent. I just, I'm at the point where I'm just hoping they keep showing flashes. The young guys keep making progression. They keep losing, or at least the Panthers keep losing and the bears hire competent, you know, coaching staff, because it does look like, the GM's done a good job acquiring talent outside of the Claypool trade. But if he's also the same guy who hired Everflus, that might be a problem anyway. So I, I don't know. I, I have trouble finding hope for Chicago. And even when, I mean, the Vikings didn't look good. Um, Addison didn't look as good as we'd hope with his 100% snap count. I mean, he's still a rookie, but he is arguably the best rookie in that class. Um, I did talk to a friend of the podcast, Sarah, who's a Vikings fan, and she was uh, not happy with Hawkinson. She's just as angry about Hawkinson's drop passes and picks, plays, dumb plays resulting in interceptions as all the Lions fans are happy that they got rid of that antic. So apparently Vikings fans are starting to turn on Hawkinson despite fantasy uh, football players loving him as a top you know, five tight end in fantasy football right now. Right, because interceptions because you ran the wrong route don't get charged to the tight end in exactly. fantasy football. But a, a couple things here. Uh, first of all, the what some of the things that jumped out at me was the pressure that the Vikings were landing was gigantic. I think it was officially 10 pressures, and it felt like a lot more than that. Like It felt like it was just about every play where – Fields was getting smacked. And this is not the first game. I think it was even more. It was about as many as were in the previous game that they were you know, doing fine with. Well, it finally started to affect him because I forgot what the stats are, but Fields is unbelievably awful when he is pressured. So he is going to be one. If they're going to continue to build around Justin Fields, which is a big if, 
or whoever does, they're going to have to give him a top 10 offensive line. They're just going to have to. The field's injury is a dislocated thumb on his throwing hand, which is a very significant injury. That's something that if there was structural damage done inside that thumb is not going to get better without surgery. And surgery means season over, most likely. And if that happens, his his career in Chicago is done. I can't see Taysom Bajan winning a lot enough games to prevent the Bears from drafting Drake May or Caleb Williams, to be honest, unless, you know, he moves heaven and earth. Um, you never know. We've seen weird stuff. But it, it is concerning because he tried to play, but he could not grip the football with his, you know, dislocated thumb. It would be a much different story if this was his non-throwing hand. Silver lining, it kept the Bears in front of the Vikings in the draft stocks or in the draft suits, but whatever. The Vikings won ugly. The running game still awful, even against the Bears, which is at this point five alarm fire going off. Alexander Madison leads the NFL in running back drop uh, drop passes by a running back. He has five. No one else in the league has three. That is just running backs who catch easy dump passes and 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 the flat. So Alexander Madison set. against the Bears, eight rushes for forty four yards. And he had like all the carries, right? Nobody else really got on the field. I don't think Akers or uh, Ty Chandler have been playing much. Akers has been playing strict backup. Um. Yeah. yeah. Akers had one attempt rushing attempt for eight yards. Yeah, yeah. At that point, what with all due respect to Alexander Madison, what are the coaches doing? Oh, you said eight rushes. He's 18. 18. Yeah, as a misspeak. Carries for 2.4 for 44 yards. That's awful. Yeah. The Bears aren't good. The Bears have a bad run defense. Just look at what Aaron the Bears Jones are did. absolutely a bottom five run defense. Oof. That Kirk Cousins had to drop back and throw it 31 times in a relatively close game and play fairly conservatively. A lot of short to intermediate passes to Addison, TJ Hawkinson. Madison was targeted seven times, caught four for 28. KJ Osborne had a good game in with small numbers. Yeah, this is an offense that still needs a lot of help and and a lot of work to get it done. Well, so I'm going to tie Bo off on this game and then we'll move on. I was just going to say, I know I just gave uh, the Bengals praise for winning ugly, you know, buying time with – you know, for um, for Burrow's injury to come back. Um, I just don't feel the same about the Vikings because I just don't think they're as talented as the as the Bengals. So they won. The op the the optimist will say they bought a week for Justin Jefferson to come back and fix everything. The defense looked good, so there is a world where scraping together these wins, getting back to two wins, they're only one behind the Bengals. Um, could result in good things. They could get that offense really going. We've seen it. And, you know, with the pass rush they had, maybe they can get going. I will say that I would like to, in a dream world, attribute some of the struggles of the Vikings to strong play from the Bears. They did play fairly well in terms of assignment football. But that being said, at the end of the day, the 
Vikings only manage 220 yards of offense. And I, I think it's time. Um, I know they're very loyal to Madison, but I think it's time to give Akers a shot. You trade made the trade for him. Madison has just not gotten it done. I mean, that you know what I mean? I, it's hard to blame the running back because they don't matter anymore, quote unquote. But I think we've seen enough bad plays out of Madison that um, he might be better off spelling or playing the Matt Patricia led defense uh, of the Lions, you know, every time he starts like he did in the past. Yeah, he's been well below expectations. He's been rough. The plan, not to say that Dalvin Cook has been sensational because he has not been, but in extremely limited work now for the for the Jets. But yeah, that was they look right to move on from Cook too. But maybe they the better move would have just been clearing the deck. Enough of that poop emoji of a game. <laughs> so, and on to the Colts and the Jaguars, which honestly was probably not a whole lot more fun if you're a Midwest lander. This was a pretty one-sided contest from the start where an opportunistic defense met Gardner Minshew, who looks like Superman when he comes off the bench and looks like the 80-pound weakling when he actually has to start. Can the Colts bring in a third string quarterback and just when when uh, Richardson isn't playing, just have like a third string play like the first drive or two of the game, maybe the first quarter, and then bring in Gardner <laughs> Minshew like a you know relief pitcher in the second quarter, and then he that's that's what gets him going, you know? Because he looked great in his first two games relieving, but he was uh it was rough, it was rough out there with three interceptions on uh, fifty five passes and. The uh, lot, uh, the running backs didn't get go- much going either. Taylor and Moss both had three and you know forty combined carry yards on fifteen rushes. Uh, long of none of them got a broke off a run of more than ten yards. So it's not like that very explosive. It was mostly just you know dink and dunk into Mar- uh, Michael Pittman. Yeah, I would guess that this game started with the intent of Jonathan Taylor being the lead back, but they just got carpet bombed so quickly that they ended up it ended up being a 50 50 work split uh with a total of 15 carries between the two fair i mean it was a 21 to 6 at halftime it was 31 6 at the end of the third quarter and the 20 points was all garbage time basically the two touchdowns they scored in the fourth quarter was uh it was over pretty quickly um i will say as jumbled up as that division looked a couple weeks ago I do think that uh, the Jaguars are starting to look like the cream of the crop. I mean, they put a beat down on Indianapolis and um, it's starting, I'm starting to hear rumbles that Richardson might be out the rest of the season. Do you want to talk about that? Cause that, yeah, that would be devastating. Yeah. That would be absolutely demoralizing and uh, just sad outcome. He landed on his shoulder. I have not heard you know, anything definitive, but this has not been, uh, the, the diagnosis has gotten worse, not better as time has gone on. There's a lot of rumblings of negativity and, um, it's a shame because coming into that, they were tied for first place with Jacksonville before Jacksonville just put it on them. And we don't know what they would have looked like with Richardson. Sometimes losing your starting quarterback just demoralizes the rest of the team and they don't play as well. You know, I would also say that Minshew 
when you're expecting a running quarterback with the arm that's making the throws Great point. down the field mm-hmm. is a surprise when you've got the guy that can make the accurate throw in the pocket and dink and dunk you. But when you're expecting the quarterback that can dink and dunk you, it is a whole different game plan. And they were just able to ambush him. That is a great point because the last two times we saw Minshew, the teams were trying to stop a running defense quarterback, not a throwing. And Minshew is not elite. He is fine. He is a high-end backup, but you see what they have when they can prepare for him. And it's interesting because if Richardson's out for any long period of time, Titans are falling behind. It's starting to look like Jacksonville and maybe a CJ Stroud led uh, Texans, which CJ Stroud is starting to look like the best quarterback of that rookie class. Um, we're going to see a lot of that because him and uh, Richardson are going to play each other a lot over their career, you know, going two and four. But um, it's interesting how that division is still pretty tight, but it's starting to feel like it's Jacksonville's division and maybe Houston can say something if they, you know, progress faster. Yeah, the Jags got 17 points off of four Gardner Minshew turnovers. Three interceptions and a fumble. And that was all in the first half, I assume, right? Or at least most of it. <laughs> well, a good chunk of it was. Yeah, enough um, to, to matter. <laughs> but there were some bright spots here for the Colts. The defense was actually pretty good on a per-play basis. They just gave up way too many short fields. Mm. The third down defense in particular has been very nice for... Uh, the Colts, not just in this game, but all season. Jacksonville only had 233 total yards. The Colts forced six three and outs. Jacksonville was four and 14 on third down. That is awful. The In fact, Jacksonville is, I think, under 38% uh, allowing third down conversions this year, which is better than what they did last year, which was top 10 in the NFL. That's a good point. I, I do think that the gloom and doom, this, this, the more I think about it as you're talking about this, the Colts defense played very well. And if they weren't set up to foul by the, uh, the quarterback, if Minshew played them again in a rematch and just took care of the ball, we could see a very different game script because I'm looking at the stat line. The Jags had nobody over 50 yards receiving ETN at 55 yards, but everybody else was like 0.7 yards per carry or negative. So it's not like um, it, it, they came to play. The, the, the Colts defense did their job. They just set up to fail. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes forward because it feels bad. I, I'm still standing by. It feels like gloom and doom after this game. But I think when you really break down, it's not as bad. It's one of those games that like as a fan, I'd be talking myself into if these two plays went the other way, which they didn't, we can never say that, but we'll probably see them. I think we're going to see them play again. I don't think they've, only, I think they've only played once this year so far. I'm not, I, I forgot about the schedule, but um, it'll be interesting. And hopefully Anthony Richardson's shoulder uh, heals up without surgery and he can come back. Cause it is a fun team to watch if they get healthy. Basically it just comes down to the old, uh, adage the the coulda woulda shoulda that i am never a big believer in oh my belief is if you coulda and you shoulda then you woulda Mm -hmm. maybe but you know i don't know i still stand by like some of these teams are set up to play well like ohio state last year against georgia was a better matchup than michigan because Michigan's set up to play against us and we fell behind them which is a perfect game script for michigan but if we got ahead of michigan i think we'd blow them out but we didn't, so we don't. We'll never know. 
but maybe we'll Tony see. was uh, t- even Tony was ranting about this last year or last week where he was like Michigan's set up to beat Ohio State, Ohio State's set up to beat SEC teams. So even if Michigan beats us, they're not going to get anywhere. That's his take. But I think Michigan and might he's be a Michigan best. fan, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. But he might be wrong this year because I'm not as impressed. I think it's a quote down year, and I think Michigan has the best returning team. Whereas Georgia's up there, but they're they're they got worse each of the last three years, and they still deserve to be the number one team. I just think they're much more yeah. beatable. But I mean, I'll give I'll give Jim Harbaugh cre- all the credit in the world. He has replicated the old Bo Schembechler University of Michigan teams where they are just going to bully every, you know, 11 teams on their schedule and sometimes 12 in the regular season and then go uh, and play somebody in a bowl and get waxworked because they don't have the receivers or the passing game to keep up with an actual up-tempo modern offense. Losing to TCU in the way they did it was more embarrassing than people realize when the more you think about it. That was from crazy. outside the program, especially. Yeah, that yes. was that was one that the Michigan faithful are still unhappy about. Yes. But, but yeah, let, there really was only the one afternoon game, and that was the Lions heading down to Ford Field South. I mean, <laughs> Raymond James. The, the Buckers. Ford, Ford Field with the winking pirate for some reason. Yeah. Why'd they put that pirate in the look? Uh, yeah, there school. was an unbelievable amount of Lions fans at that game, which there usually are. I mean, in contrast to say the chiefs and the Packers, which are usually airtight mm-hmm. stadiums for, to keep out visiting fans, Tampa sports, all of them are typically some of the easiest tickets for out of town fans to get. And it showed I've heard estimates be you know when i was looking i was conservatively saying 20 percent of the stadium was lions fans i've heard as high as a full third i believe that especially and and that's just when the game was you know started i'm sure it got worse and worse you know as the Buccaneers fans filed out in the third fourth quarter you know yeah fair enough um the, the injuries though are the lions did win they had a tremendous game that I did not see coming. This was, again, they exceeded my expectations as a Lions fan. Uh, the, the injuries are starting to mount, though. Uh, Montgomery, the starting running back, went down midway through the second. They already had Jameer Gibbs out. And the fourth team running back, the special teamer, was lost for the year also with, I think, a shoulder or a leg. Mm. So is this is they were down basically to Craig Reynolds, the third running back, and they didn't do a whole lot rushing the football this game, like you might expect, because the strength of the Tampa defense is probably their run defense, especially very good run defense, especially against physical style running with Vita Vea. Yeah, good luck. You need a you need your running back to hop an Uber to get around him. That would have been a great game to have a healthy Gibbs to bounce it outside. You know, it, it would have. Uh, but but again, um, despite that, they still win the game. Exactly. They um, didn't have the queen chess piece or whatever you call it. The well, that's the thing by. is they keep, keep taking away these chess pieces and more on that in a little bit. But I got to highlight Craig Reynolds had one of the blocks of the year on the Amon Ra Oof. touchdown pass. Beautiful. Yeah, he came flying in out of nowhere to shoulder to shoulder this Tampa Bay uh, corner or well defensive back anyway, 
that was about to hit Amon Ra, and he hit him fl- so hard he set the the Tampa Bay player flying into the last guy that had any chance to stop him. And Amon Ra just struts into the end zone. It just lit up everybody, this block. Danny Campbell-style football, I tell you, you got to love it. Doesn't show up in the box score for Craig Reynolds, but it shows up for the Lions' victory. Absolutely. It showed up on the highlight reel, I'll tell you that much. Got to love Everybody it. who was watching saw this this block. I mean, he ended up on, you know, if they were still doing jacked up on ESPN, he it would be on it. But yeah, there was a beautiful uh, Jamison Williams sighting in the third quarter that was arguably the knockout blow on a 45-yard touchdown pass doing exactly what the Lions wanted him to do, and that's open up things underneath by stretching the field. You know, he had just had, I think, a uh, drop pass or something like that, and he didn't hang his head. He went and beat his guy down the field and then was the first to track the football and made a fairly tough catch. It's impressive. And my thing is, if he drops a pass every game, but he makes a play like that, who cares about the drop at that point? Because it's not, I mean, it might kill a drive, but it might be annoying, but it's going to force the defense to play him. Like he's a deep threat. In which case Amon Ra is going to have games where he catches 12 balls out of 15 targets for 120 yards and a touchdown. And the big what happened today, right? Exactly. That's exactly a stat line. Now, Laporte only had four of his 11 targets, but those are going to come even better when teams are respecting J-Mo. And this offense might not be as explosive as um, the Dolphins, but if J-Mo is doing what J-Mo did with that 45-yarder and you get Gibbs uh, coming off of injury, making explosive runs, I think it's going to be a really, really underrated and elite offense, in my opinion. And the defense has played great. I mean, they shut down the – we didn't even talk about that. Um, They shut down um, the Buccaneers, held them to six points. (laughs) No touchdowns on their home field. Yeah, the Buccaneers' offense is, in a lot of ways, very similar to Seattle. They scheme guys open. They do a ton of max protect. They love uh, quick throws. And Godwin gets open really, really fast if you don't roll coverage in his direction. And if you start crashing down on everything short, they've got Mike Evans going long to beat the coverage over the top. And the Lions slam the door shut by basically being impossible to run against, forcing Tampa to be one-dimensional. And then playing a bunch of guys in coverage. They didn't get a lot of sacks. They didn't get a lot of pressures. But Tampa could not move the ball consistently. And Baker Mayfield, he was held to 51% completion despite not a lot of pressures or sacks. Which tells you that either he stinks or, more likely, the coverage was excellent. Yeah, and I think that's true. So, Yeah, this was excellent coverage in the passing game. The Lions, on their side, picked up a ton of third and longs in this game. Uh, more on that in just a moment. I have to give some flowers where they're due here. This is a team that lives to overload blitz on for Tampa. And Penny Sewell in the last four games has one pressure allowed and no sacks. That's almost that is a pressure rate of under one percent. That is elite. Especially that is beyond elite. 
But you know what? Other than the offensive line, they've got what? One elite target in Amon Ra. And even when he was out, the offense was still moving. Yep. You, at some point, you have to acknowledge that a bunch of this is Jared Goff. No running game to speak of today. Goff had 353 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Just that kept making the amazing. right play all over the field. He is not feeling pressure. He is putting pressure on other teams. And at this point, I don't think the Lions have any choice but to pay Goff. Because who are you going to find that's going to be better? And I understand that the Rams did win a Super Bowl, but I don't think the Lions are upset about the trade because they weren't in the Super Bowl window when they traded Stafford. And I think golf is becoming the big winner because let's remember, Sean McVay didn't want golf because he didn't push the ball down the field enough for his offense, for him to run the McVay style offense. Well, we just talked about the 45 yard touchdown pass to Jamison Williams that blew up in the game. On a dime. Yeah. Golf is showing that the more he's gotten comfortable with the underneath stuff, he is getting better at throwing the ball downfield too, especially because he picks and chooses his spots. And when you're constantly worried about, you know, St. Brown and Laporta eating you up underneath he knows when to do it. He is a vet, solid veteran, and I think it's very fun to watch someone like him show that you can progress mid-career. And I think that that's one of the big one of the big wins for the Lions is that they got him on a throw-in. And I think we have to give credit to Brad Holmes coming over from LA to be the, Bear, the Lions GM and knowing that part of the guy who picked golf to number two overall he saw something that the rest of the guys in la didn't and he brought him to detroit for nothing as a throw-in and i think you know i agree with the pay but i just enjoy watching him this year i completely agree i think you have to acknowledge the fact that sometimes a player can grow before your eyes my take on golf basically until the last say five weeks four three four weeks really was still stuck in the Jared Goff that I saw in the first, say, 10 games of last year, where think he could had above-average arm talent, but if anything was going wrong anywhere, it was falling apart. You know, basically kind of equivalent to a Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he has gotten better. He has proven me wrong, and in this team which admittedly is perfectly set up for him but really he's shown he's can have success as long as he has a plus offensive line and at least one offensive weapon that they're moving the ball against you know what you call that that's Patrick Mahomes Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna say I'm not gonna take away from him because the team built the team around him I think they saw something and they built it and he took advantage of it. You know, we take, we could talk about this like Brock Purdy too. And the other thing too is you mentioned Dak, Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott seems to have only been regressing over the years, whereas Jared Goff, who might be around this, who is the same draft class as him, is only getting better. Think about yeah. that. They're the same draft class. And then Carson Wentz. Goff was a first spot. round pick. Who's the Goff one was the number pick. one. And Wentz went number two. He's not even on a team right now. You know, so uh, give props to golf for his continued to his mid-career progression. I think he's going to be a starter for the NFL for a while now, and we'll see how high his ceiling can get 
um, you know, and maybe with the uh, curse of Bobby Lane being exercised, uh, who knows? It might be multiple Super Bowls. Am I getting you too excited? Am I getting too far ahead of myself? It is a little far ahead of yourself. Here, I got I got a question for you though. Let's to to put on your GM hat, or if you're a Lions fan, if the Lions were your primary team, what number per year for golf starts to make you nervous? Mm. Well, I gotta say, I'm at the point where I thought going into this year, for 25 million per year would be good. Um, then you know, I saw yeah, that's Gino's, not happening. I think Geno Smith was like 30, 35. Honestly. Goff right now on his current deal is basically 35 and he's going to want more than that. Well, I think a lot of that was paid. I think a lot of the cap hit was taken by uh, the Rams though. So you do more flexibility and then all the rookie contract guys the last few years are going to get more expensive too, like Payne Sewell, as you mentioned. Um, But when you look at the contracts that guys like Derek Carr and Daniel Jones signed, I think he's worth at least that probably that plus another couple million on top of that. I think they were 40 million per. So, yeah. I mean, I if think, golf gets I think 40 golf to 45, is... I'm, I'm actually okay with that now. And I didn't think I'd say that six weeks ago. I could tell you then you and I are in about the same place. I'm, I'm starting to get nervous at about 42, 43, 44, but I fully expect that it may take 40 to 45 million a year to get golf. And it's one of those things, depending on how they write the contract, if it's 45 million per, but it's done in a way that leaves flexibility, it won't hurt the team. Yeah. Look, the one thing that we have not seen from Brad Holmes yet or from any Lions general manager in the last 50 years is how good is he at massaging the cap when you're trying to retain players? Great point. When you are when you were um, tearing it down and bringing a bunch of rookie contract guys on, it's super easy especially if a couple of those guys hit, they're all, they're all cheap contracts and we're seeing that, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's easy to go from four and 13 to nine and eight. It's a lot harder to go from nine and eight to 13 and four. And before we move on, I just want to throw back, you mentioned Pene Sewell earlier when he was drafted, I thought he was the top prospect in that draft from an offensive line perspective in a really loaded class. And I remember watching that draft with Tony going, he, I think they were hoping for Justin Fields because he fell to that far. And I was kind of like, I don't know. You guys aren't there in the rebuild. You probably want to get the lineman in place and then drop the uh, quarterback. But you guys have your quarterback already. You didn't need it. Can you imagine if you guys went with Justin Fields instead of Sewell? You wouldn't see this. I, I think golf is a better quarterback than Fields right now, despite the highlights that Fields gives. I think you. I think I have to agree. And then you also have an elite left tackle. So you basically you're set at the two most important positions on offense right now. Sewell isn't even playing left tackle. Oh, I forgot. He's playing right tackle, <laughs> but he can play left tackle. We've seen him play really well at that side too. Right. It's Taylor Decker is and the then, left tackle. And think about this. If PFF claims your best, your most important positions are tackle, quarterback, and receiver, you guys got golf in a throw in a trade that year, Sewell in the first round, St. Brown in the fourth, and that draft class. That is an epic uh, trio of team building right there in one spot. That's how you turbocharge a rebuild and go from three wins to, you know, whatever this team might be. They're already at five. <laughs> and you can make an v- argument that they should be first that they're the best team in the league. And I can't believe that I'm saying that this year. Based on what I just saw from the Niners and the uh, Eagles, they might be the best team in the NFC, at least. 
Yeah, before we head on to uh, one more thing or the Steelers, which really did what the Steelers do and didn't make any noise in the in the bye week. I do want to give a shout out to Taylor Decker, who hit 100 starts in the NFL in this past game, all with the Lions. The actual left tackle. The actual (laughs) left tackle. You're going back five, six, seven, eight years to hit 100 starts for the Lions. That covers a lot of really awful territory that he got to see the rise through. He goes back so far. I think he was on that Michael Thomas, Zeke, Joey Bosa, and uh, Buckeye team. And Michael Thomas and Zeke are already on the last legs of their career, and Decker's still going strong, and he's finally rewarded with a winning team. Finally, yeah. He gets to see the rise through Detroit. And one more thing, too, about Taylor Decker is it's nice to see him on a winning team because Browns fans can remember this, but Joe Thomas, Hall of Famer, one of the greatest I've ever seen, rarely got to play on a winning team. And I think he was in Cleveland for over a decade. So it's good to see elite talent like that get to have be on, be on a winning team. So I'm happy to see one of the Midwest Landers get some wins under his belt this year. Shall we move on to week seven? Yeah, we got to deep dive a lot of those games more than we normally do because we only had the five actual games. But so now we're back to a slate of six. One is doubled up. Our only buy team is the Bengals. Shall we start with the double up? And let us do that. Early Easy slate. as A, B, C, or yep. at least B and C. Browns Early and slate, Sunday, October 23rd, 1 p.m., the Cleveland Browns at the Indianapolis Colts. They don't have to travel far for this road game because they're just across the state line. What's your one more thing on this guy? Uh, for this one, I want to see if the Browns can have success moving the football in the air against the Colts defense because we're not going to see it much because I think this game is going to be, I don't see the Colts able to do much of anything against the Browns defense. Depend regardless of the quarterback situation in Indianapolis. The yeah, the Colts are. I mean, if Anthony Richardson came back, I don't think they would be doing much against this Browns defense. I would sit him out just because I'd be feared for life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, fair, uh, yeah, fair. Uh, but, yeah, because well, not the least of which because I'm not sure Anthony Richardson is protecting himself yet. No, in terms of the way he is selectively running, but. No, this is probably going to be a Browns win. That's who I'm picking. Mm-hmm. I don't I just think the Browns defense even this is going to be a defensive game. So it's going to be closer than you think, but I I just can't see the Browns losing this unless the quarterback play is so bad. Well, now you're stepping on my one more thing. I want Go to ahead. see if uh, Stefanski can adjust his play calling for having a backup quarterback that was picked up off uh, the scrap heap midweek because he was having P.J. Tucker throw on third and long against the Niners defense late in that game with a lead, which to me, despite yeah. the win, was irresponsible. And let your defense, which is elite, do the job while you have a third string run quarterback. And I want to see him let PJ Tucker, PJ Walker, PJ Walker, um, manage the game. Let him make a couple plays with his legs, but 
keep the ball on the ground with Kareem Hunt, keep the ball with Jerome Ford, and let the defense terrorize Minshew or Anthony Richardson. The defense will win you the game. Call the game like you have a third-string quarterback, not like Deshaun Watson in his prime. That's what I want to see, and I'm going to pick the Browns to win. All right. Let's get back to my Lions. They are on the road for the second straight week against the Ravens, and that's usually not a good sign, a team playing two straight road games. Ravens are a much tougher ticket, by the way, than uh, than the Buccaneers. We don't play Baltimore very often. It's NFC versus AFC. So it ends up being um, we don't, as Lions fans, necessarily realize how tough Baltimore is to get a win. Underrated. Um, Home field very, very underrated. Uh, the Ra- The biggest thing coming out of the Ravens, though, is I'm not sure their receivers can catch a cold right now. They're having all kinds of problems in the passing game. Uh, you've got Lamar Jackson throwing the ball to the wrong team. I don't know how much of that is bad receiver play. Um, is that your one more thing? What I'm looking forward for here, though, because uh, I do think the the Lions are going to stop the running backs. But the kryptonite for this defense has been containing running quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks. The only one of those that they've really played this year so far is Geno Smith. And he went off for 30 points. 37. So, huh? <laughs> 37. Sorry. It was 37 to 30. <laughs> Right. Sorry, it, was it, worse. Was, it was worse. It was a number in the 30s. Fair, fair, fair. That, which is what I was going for. Yeah, fair. In any um, case, you know, I want to see if this team contains Lamar Jackson. Because that's kind of the last thing that this defense has had serious problems with going forward. And if they can manage to put the clamps on Lamar Jackson and win two straight road games you're starting to run out of teams in the, on this schedule that they can lose to. Mm-hmm. So before you make your pick, I'm going to go with my one more thing is very related because the Ravens won last week, but in spite of the fact that they just are going all in, they're, they're just kind of abandoning the running game after being too quote run happy with the last guy teams. And like you said, the receivers can't catch a cold. And Lamar, I'm not sure he's ready to shoulder that, but he takes off running and he wins the games with his legs. But I want to see if the Ravens even try to run against the Lions because in all honesty, that game plan might be the only way hope they have against the Lions because the Lions have done a great job the last three weeks against elite rushing teams like Atlanta and, you know, and then obviously like Green Bay and Tampa Bay of just bottling up the run and forcing below average quarterbacks to pass. And I think the Ravens just want to come in and throw the ball around. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. So I'm very curious to see what the Ravens game plan is to attack the Lions uh, defense that has been playing extremely well. What's your pick since you're the resident Detroit fan? Um, I'm going to pick the. I think I am going to pick the Ravens here because of Lamar Jackson. But it would not surprise me at all if the Lions win this game. And if they win this one, I might not pick against the Lions the rest of the year. So my pick will be, I do not, there's one and only true sun god, and I will not pick against uh, Amon Ross St. Brown until uh, 
you know, it's become blasphemed for it. So I will take the Lions on the road, despite being one of the hardest road games to play and coming off another road game. Go Sun Gods. Last of the early games, Raiders at Bears. <laughs> this looks this like is... some more must-flee TV. Dude, the you you are aware that with a win, the the Raiders who are were one of two teams that didn't have hope and a prayer at the playoffs, along with the Cardinals, could be four and three after seven games, <laughs> and I don't think they've been very good at doing so. And um, it's they probably... really taking advantage of that fourth place schedule. Oh, I know. And we're talking Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt for a second time. Justin Fields is out. We're talking about an ugly game getting uglier. We're talking 40-some-year-old, possibly Brian Hoyer versus undrafted rookie free agent Taysom Bajent. This, I'm a Bears fan. I might not watch this game. I might take this off of my my quad on the on the Sunday ticket on Sunday. This could be a rough one, but I'll probably have to keep it on just because I'm a Bears fan and we do this podcast. But um, I um, want to. Do you need me to send you some soap for while you watch it? Because <laughs> this game is dirty. This game stinks. <laughs> this yeah, game is exactly. ugly. <laughs> oh my god. So um, what I want to see is I want to see if um, Taysom Bajent can look good because I think that at this point, Fields is the guy when he comes back, but he might not be the guy if we draft Caleb Williams. But the question is, can Taysom Bajent look good enough that we can flip him for something in the offseason or just keep him as a cheap uh, backup next year, whether it's Field or Caleb Williams? So I want to see what the rookie can do, and I want to see if Roshan comes back, speaking of rookies, from his concussion. That might be the funnest thing. Who's your pick? Uh, Raiders. Yeah, that's my pick, too. Um, This is a Raiders team that somehow still looks dysfunctional, but they did get Josh Jacobs going finally. So if they can establish the run again against the Bears, which really that's the one thing that I want to see, is can the Bears stuff the run again? I mean, yeah, they contain Madison, but... That's not looking like it's too hard. Another containment against Josh Jacobs would make me feel a whole lot more confident about the Bears going forward. I'm still going to pick the Raiders because I think that this is a Bears team deeply in turmoil. But there are things that are worth looking at, even in this bowling shoe ugly game Mm -hmm. just to pile on your one more thing too remember the bears dress spent a lot of capital and the defensive tackle position and linebacker position to be better at stopping the run so i agree they better be good at it and i'm not sure they are so that's a good one more thing i i say i think it's a great one on to the afternoon games we'll start with the steelers who are traveling across the country to take on the rams Rams who might be without both their number one and number two running backs, not even counting Cam Akers who already traded away. Uh, my one more thing is I want to see if Matt Canada spent the off uh, the bye week drawing up a offense that's more than just run, run, pass, punt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have no further analysis on that. I just want to see if Canada can drop a you know right. more than just you know a third grader level. When complexity. I was in high school working for the school paper we are the high school team which later became very very good and won a state title and is dominating the city but at the time was still developing they were running essentially uh, an option style attack and i was uh 
the sports editor for our for the paper and we were and one of the guys uh in the class was on the football team as a receiver i think mm-hmm. and he was just came in complaining one day because they had gotten beaten fairly decisively our entire offense is running the ball no matter what our, here's our offense run it left run it right run it up the middle punt <laughs> that's kind of what it reminded me of that is matt mm-hmm. can is that matt canada's offense yep right from the high school <laughs> yeah well i mean i couldn't believe uh how bad they've looked at times the rams i don't know what rams team is going to show up but the cuz i feel like the steelers should be able to move the ball against a studs and duds kind of Rams defense, but who knows? It, a lot of it comes down to scheme because you know that you know the McVeigh versus Tomlin coaching matchup is even, but are the coordinators even? That's the next question. Mm-hmm. I would really love to see Deontay Johnson coming back. That would be, I think if that plus the bye week does good things for this offense, we might be saying something, but we also might not see Deontay Johnson for another week or two. And assuming we don't, my one more thing is the Steelers secondary or sorry, defensive secondary against the Rams receivers because the Rams wide receiving core has been defying gravity for most of the year. And if the Steelers can do a job to sort of rein them in, they're probably going to win this game. And I think they will. I will also pick the Steelers. They are three and two, despite having the worst offense in the league by far. And I think the offense, we saw it improve down the stretch in a similar fashion last year as they leaned more into the run. And I believe it was after the bye week that they turbocharged their offense. And um, knock on wood, I'd like to see that lightning strike twice. And um, even if it doesn't, the Steelers are great at winning ugly. So I'll take the Steelers. All right. That brings us to the Packers at the Broncos. Another Midwest Lander team moving out West for a week. What do you think is going to happen in this game? I would like to see if Russell Wilson survives the game as the starter, because there's a lot of rumors about him getting benched soon. So they can tear it down and have their tank off that will, uh, will, uh, what do they call it? Um, it'll, uh, reach its, uh, apex on Christmas day or Christmas Eve or whenever that game is against the Patriots who could be really trying to tank hard to pop into the, to rob the bears of the one and two picks overall. Um, but yeah, I want to see, so the jokes aside, um, my one more thing is I want to see if, um, Jordan love can get right against the defense that gave up 70 points to the Miami dolphins, because you could see Christian Watson making plays similar to Tyreek Hill and, uh, Jalen Waddle. I'm watching the, the trenches in this game, specifically the Packers offensive line versus the Broncos defensive front. The Packers have had all kinds of problems with protection uh, early in the uh, the season here. And I think that if they didn't have, were not able to get healthy and get the scheme right during the bye, then those problems are probably going to continue all year. And the Broncos are not the easiest test for a defensive front seven. They've got some pass rush. So we'll see what happens there. I 
do feel like the Packers are going to win, but this is probably going to be a close game that will come down to whether Jordan Love can avoid the big mistake. We're starting, we actually finally saw a little bit of the Javante Williams last week that we were hoping to see all year. And the Broncos are starting to run out of excuses for Russell Wilson, like you were saying. So I think I'm picking the Packers here. Packers too. Okay. On to the Monday night game. It is the San Francisco 49ers at the Minnesota Vikings coming fresh off a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing win over the Chicago Bears. Sarcastically right. said. In a <laughs> in a game that I am sure looked a whole lot better when they scheduled it. It's the Niners at the Vikings and yeah, Niners. <laughs> I want to see... For all the crap we give Minnesota, they kept it close in in an ugly game against the Chiefs who tend to play it ugly, and they did beat the Bears, so it might not be as bad as we're worried about it being Cousins is having underrated one of his best years, and I'm going to say I want to see if um, Jordan Addison or, uh, well, Jordan Addison could emerge um, in the absence of Justin Jefferson and live up to his first round draft billing. Because it's not going to be KJ Osborne. He's a good number three wide receiver, but I want to see Jordan Addison take the next step. The Vikings, I think, are perfectly capable of scheming up the offense the same way the Browns did if they are able to dissect that film. The Vikings have the ability to attack the edges, at least in the passing game, the same way that um, the Browns did. They can make quick passes with accuracy. So it'll be a different kind of challenge. The Now, I still don't think that the running backs are going to do much unless they suddenly make a switch there. But the mm-hmm. Vikings, I think, are going to lose. But I want to see from a coaching standpoint if the Vikings try and replicate something that the Browns did, and if so, if they have success with it. It's a good one. And I'd also like to see if the bonus bonus one more thing, if uh, the Vikings actually do give, you know, their backup running backs a chance. Cause I think Cam Akers and or Ty Chandler would be better options at this point. Um, I got obviously Minnesota or sorry, the Niners in a angry, let's get our crap together game uh, beat down style of the Vikings. Yeah. This is not the week that I want to play the 49ers. No, they're going to be mad. We do have the Bengals on the bye. Uh, we hope that there are not major stories there other than them getting healthy. I was going to say, I just perfect timing. They got a win. They eked back to 500. Now Burroughs got two weeks to rest his leg. And I think that will be great for them moving forward. I totally agree. But that's all the time we have for the Midwest football podcast this week. You can email us with your comments, thoughts, questions, or anything along those lines. Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. That was Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. We want to thank you for spending time with us this week, listening to us. We are happy for every listener that we get. Happy enough that if you talk to us through some of our social medias, we're on the X, we're on Facebook, we're on you know a number of other platforms, that we will uh, make an effort to get that into the show. So thank you to Raymond for our beautiful intro and outro music. Thank you for to Chris Brandley for all of our logos. But we need to take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter one more time. Until next week, we will see you later. I miss you already. <laughs> <laughs>